0: We're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to uh, pray and introduce our wonderful teaching leader today. Father, thank you that we can be here today, Lord. Thank you that you have provided a wonderful place for us to be here, that you provided the provision. Um, we thank you for your word, Lord, which is um, so amazing to think that you are the same God of the Old Testament as the New Testament and the things you can teach us there, Father. We thank you for your plan of rescue for the Israelites and for us. And Lord, we just um, lift this time to you. Help help us to get rid of all the distractions. Help us to put away the worries of the world and just truly focus on your word. Um, we thank you for Lucina who will be teaching us. And just pray, Father, that each one of us will hear the exact message you have for us. And that it won't just be more information, but that it will be life-changing. We just lift our lives to you. And Jesus Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm so, oh, you can turn me down because I'm loud. <laughs> I'm really loud. So you can bring me down so that I don't blow you guys out of your seats. I'm so excited um, to look at this passage this morning. Crazy, but last year Colin and I had the opportunity to travel to Egypt. Um, it's it's cheap right now because nobody wants to go. So you too can go for rock bottom prices. And we did. And you know what? This, I, we didn't even know that we were teaching it going to teach on Exodus at that point, but God did. And isn't that so cool? And so it really, really springs to life for me. I think children's literature is just great. Why? Because it takes a big idea and it makes it, breaks it down into something simple and easy to understand for kids. Um, Let's take, I'm going to give you some of my kids' favorites. We read a lot in my home, Let's take Marvin Redpost, for example. Who can't relate to Marvin if you've got a boy? And especially the little book, Why Pick on Me. You see, Marvin had been humiliated because. Classmates found him picking his nose. Well, Marvin goes on this adventure to find that everyone has picked their nose at some point, even the principal of his school. And it's a great lesson to learn. And then there's Alexander who felt like he had the terrible, no good, horrible, very bad day every day. Well, He felt like this so much that he gets his family involved in it and they have one of those days too. And this book was so good, it was made into a movie. As I read this passage, I could not help but think, Wow, that is a whole lot like what's about to happen to Pharaoh and the whole land of Egypt. They are about to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad set of days. Not just one day, this is gonna be a bunch of days. And then that tells me, What else I learned? I learned I've bought in to all the movies I've seen about this because I kind of thought that the plagues were wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, like today, tomorrow, the next day, in 10 days, boom, we're over, done. Well, conservative scholars will tell you that that's probably not what happened. And if you stop and think about the implications of each one, you understand that. The likelihood is that the very first plague, turning the Nile River into blood, probably God would exact that at the time it would hurt the Egyptians the most. Now, I've been there. I can tell you when you stand on the Nile, above it or below it, you can look in either direction and it's green and lush a little ways for a little ribbon. It makes a ribbon through the country and then from that point, from X point out, it is Barren, desert, dry, nothing. That's why to this day they call it the fertile Nile River Valley. And so it is very likely rainy season in Egypt to this day occurs in July and August. At that time, the Nile, and for sure then, because they didn't have locks and dams and all of that, would overflow its banks. It would swell to its fullest. It would roll over the banks of the Nile and out into the land. And then when it began to reseed, what would it leave behind but the most fertile? It had dumped rich nutrient into the land, and this is when the people would plant their crops. And so it is likely that this plague occurred in July or August. First plague, zoom to the last plague, the death of the firstborn. When did that occur? When do we know? Because it still is celebrated at the same time today, every year. What happens in the spring? Passover, and that is what where we will get to in the end, and that happens in April. So July to April, boom, we've got eight to ten months, give or take a few here or there, and that's the that's what we're looking at now. These days um, here in the Bible, in God's Word, these very bad days are actually called plagues. The, the word, look up the word, what it actually means is a large number of harmful or annoying um, Uh, things. And if that is not an understatement, I don't know what is. Because as you read this and really think about and dwell on the words, this is a number of these things that you can't even fathom in your wildest imagination. Um, So what we're going to see is that, again, if this happened over an eight to 10-month period, we see right off the bat, God is slow, and patient about metting out these judgments to get these people's attention. He doesn't wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. That's Lucina's way. I would have done it that way. But God doesn't. He takes time to get their attention. Oh, you didn't hear me. I'll be a little louder this time. Oh, didn't get it. Let me hit you in another way. And that's what he continues to do. Why does he do it? The key is in chapter 8. Verse 10, and I'd love for you to turn there right now. Why does God do this? He tells us exactly why, and let's read it. Um, Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh said, and Moses replies, all right, it will be as you have said. That's funny. We're going to talk about that, that alone in a minute. Then you will know, what will you know? He's talking to Pharaoh. What is Pharaoh going to know as a result of what's about to unfold? You will know that no one is as powerful as the Lord, our God. And I would add to it, do you know, we're going to see today that there's nothing he can't or won't do to rescue you. That's what we learn in this lesson. He's gonna take ordinary things like rivers, snakes, frogs, gnats, livestock, and he is going to use them for his extraordinary purposes. These things become supernatural. They respond to the power of a God who's in control of all of it. And so the question really, I kept asking, oh, so the question is not what's God gonna do next? The question is, what am I going to do when he does what he's going to do? And that's true for me today. God Almighty still acts in my life. He brings about circumstances daily in my life for his glory, trying to teach and tell me things. And the question is, how do I respond? Because my response to his prompting, sometimes in a still and sometimes in a very loud voice, makes all the difference. So open your Bibles, and today in Exodus 7, eight and just into the top, top, top of nine, we're going to look specifically at how the people in this passage respond to what God does. I'm going to just break it to you right now. I am not going to go through and talk in detail about these five passages. Just get over it. I know you're really sad, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to talk about the people and what they do. And so here's what we're gonna learn. Three things, I know you're shocked. We're gonna learn first that um, the response to God is one of reverence. We're gonna see that Moses and Aaron revere God and they respect who he is and it causes them to act in a certain way. Secondly, we're going to see how Pharaoh and the Egyptians resist God and refuse repeatedly um, to listen to what he's telling. And lastly, we're gonna look at the Israelites, and maybe perhaps some Egyptians, I gotta believe there were some, that recognize that if you've got a relationship with God, you are set apart. And so let's look at the first one. Revere God and respect him for who he is. This is Moses and Aaron. Again, I want you to take out a pen and I want you to circle these things in, in your Bible. Good Bible students know that when words or phrases are repeated, we should, uh, Take notice, God is trying to tell us something. Like a great teacher, he repeats things over and over so you get what he's trying to do. And so I want you to circle. Actually, we're gonna back up because I know seven verse six wasn't in our lesson, but it's the precursor leading us. And so I want you to circle 7-10, 7 verse 20. So three verses in chapter seven, six, and 20, and then in then chapter 8, 6 and 26, because we're gonna see these words just as the Lord had told them, just as God commanded them to, or they did so. We're gonna see this is how Moses and Aaron act. Wow, wow! And so, my takeaway here is when you respect someone, you do what they say, whether that's a parent a boss, maybe a friend, when you have a relationship and respect for someone, you do what they say. And that's exactly what Moses and Aaron do. And, and that's so easy for us, It's not as easy when you're a child, but boy, when you become a parent, that is so easy to understand. It is like music to your ears when you say, hey, you need to go study. Go do your homework. Hey, would you go take out the trash? And a kid who responds and goes and and does it, ah, man, after their mother's own heart. And I'm gonna tell you, 26 years ago when we started parenting, the books of the day said you should strive for first-time obedience. That means you tell them, they do it. Well, by the time they were... Teenagers, I can tell you, any time was good time obedience. It it wasn't first time. Like, if you just do it on a wing and a prayer, I'm gonna pray that you just do what I ask you to do Um, because I know. And so I gotta imagine, how does God feel? How does he feel here in this passage? And how does he feel today in my life? Because he's nudging me and moving me through his word and his people all the time. Sometimes I hop to and a lot of times, I drag my feet. And so, that's what we see. I wondered as I read this, like, you know, when God first says, before the plagues even start, when he does works the first miracle, when he tells Moses, have Aaron throw his staff down. Well, I wondered, because this is me, this is what I would do, this is what my kids did for sure. Like, mom said to do this, and kind of, if they went away together to do a cha- like they would have a little chat about it. Well, like, did she really, you know, can we... So. Can you imagine Moses and Aaron walking along and Moses looking at Aaron? Hey, Aaron, instead of like throwing it on the ground, why don't you swing her around a bit? Don't you, don't you, don't you think that would be good? I'm, I'm kind of thinking that'll work better. I really doubt it. I don't think that was the conversation. God said it, we're gonna do it exactly the way he told us to do. There is a huge lesson in that. Man, I wish I was more like him, but I'm not. I can tell you that. All the way back to high school when I pulled into the garage and bumped that refrigerator sitting right smack dab in the middle, hopped out of the car, looked at it. Yeah, I don't, I think it's fine. I went right on and I never said a word. Never. I didn't, it was a little bump. I didn't, I didn't like smash it. It was just like I pulled in a little too far, you know, backed up, looks fine, go on. I didn't tell my parents then. I didn't tell my parents for a long time, 15 years to be exact. My parents moved from that house, and I happened to be there for that move with my children. So now I'm a parent. Man, everything changes when you become a parent, doesn't it? You're like, I get it. I get it. And my parents were outside like, and what in the world happened to that refrigerator? I don't ever remember. And I was standing there, and God was like, tell him now. <laughs> tell him what you did. Well... I hit it. And They both look at me like, "What?" I go, "Yeah, in high school, I hit it. I really didn't think it was that, that big of a deal." Would you forgive me? We're la- we're all laughing now. They're like, "What you did? Why didn't you ever tell us?" For the life of me, they're like scratching their head and saying, so am- "Why?" My parents weren't harsh and unruling and unbending, and they didn't. They I, I wasn't one who got you know stuck in my room, and why? Because I'm a sinner, <laughs> because I, I just didn't think it mattered, because I didn't care. Honestly, I didn't care. It didn't, didn't look like much to me. And you know what? That pattern went on in my early adult life. Really deep hurts between Kyle and I. Took me years to confess, to ask for forgiveness, to put behind me. But here's the good news, ladies I, I'm redeemed, and I'm getting better and better every day. I am shorter and shorter the time span between what I do wrong and what I do to make it right. I am not sinless yet, but I do sin less and less. And when I do, I run. I know the way to break me out of that guilt and shame and pain is run. You can ask, I got a mother-in-law sitting here, a sister-in-law sitting here. Man, I've had to pick up the phone. I've driven to their house. I have done it all. And that, those are just, those are the, my, outside my family, let alone my husband and my kids. And I've learned, man, when you say rash words, go, run, free yourself from that. I love that later in this path, that the Israelites are on as they go into the promised land, Joshua will take over. He will take over from Moses and listen to what he says. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you, so that, here's the reason, so that, that you will be careful to do according to all, everything that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. And so my question is, what's God asking you to do today? Is there something that you haven't attended to 15 years ago, like me, are you listening to him? And if so, are you obeying? That's the question. Don't waste another moment. Do what he's asking you to do now. And that takes us to the second set of uh, folks. So we've looked at Moses and Aaron, that's easy because they obey. What about Pharaoh and the Egyptians? And I think that's the second thing is we're going to see that They will resist God, and they're going to refuse to listen to Him. Again, I want you to take out your pen and circle these passages. These are the words we're looking for. Refuse to listen, heart-hardened, stubborn, refuse to listen. Start in 713. Circle it. It's in 13... He still refused to listen, just as the Lord predicted. It's in 14. He refused, still refused to listen. It's in 16. Be circling, come on, come on. 13, 14, 16, verse 22. Now move your pen right on to chapter eight, verse two. 815, 819, 821, 829, 832. Did I go too fast? All right. 8-2, verse 2, verse 15, verse 19, verse 21, verse 29, verse 32. And then twice in chapter 9, 92. And 9-7. And it ain't over because the fat lady hadn't sang. Ladies, he's going to keep doing that. This is 12 times in 2.2 chapters. A very short period of time. And what we get is this is not a once-in-a-while problem. This is a daily hell-bent attitude. And yes, I did use that word because it is appropriate because that is where he is setting his face My way or the highway is what he's yelling. When Aaron's snake gobbled up those others, do you think it licked its lips? And what in the world do you think everyone turned around and did? Like, oh my gosh. I mean, they were feeling kind of proud. Like, yeah, we can do that too. They throw theirs down. Snakes appear and they're going everywhere. Yuck. But then when Aaron's big bad boy swallows them all up, I mean, I think it sucked every bit of sound out of that room. I think they were all just standing there like, oh oh my goodness, what do, you, what do you do now? I think God was screaming in the silence that he's bigger and badder and better than anything they've got. So how don't they get it? I don't know. And then imagine the smell in the air. I've been to Africa. We spend a lot of time over there. There's no air conditioning there. And I can tell you, you can smell their fires burning anywhere, everywhere, all the time, let alone a river of blood. And not just the river, all freshwater sources. If I'd had it in my jar, because I guarantee you they did to drink water, to go to the bathroom, to do whatever they have to do, wash their face, etc. all blood. How in the world do you walk into your palace and put it out of your mind? You don't. I think the text says it because that's what he tried to do. The smell had to be pervasive. The stench of death and destruction was all around him. I don't care if his palace was on the peak of the valley. He knew what was going on. And then came the frogs, followed by the gnats and the flies and all the other dead animals. Now, I can see how he might get a little confused along the process because he had magicians who did a lot of the same things through the third plague. And I think he'd be feeling real smug about that. But that's why the sidebar in your lesson, I hope you looked up that verse in 2nd Corinthians is so critical because you see Satan wants to dupe us. He will want to so badly, he will look like God doing something. And that's what scares me when people go, well, I think God must have told me, did to God's arrange the circumstances? So here it is, I should do it. Like, wait a minute, does that line up with Scripture? Because you've got to be careful. Satan did this in the Old Testament and he does it today. He is still trying to fool us, be on the alert. So I can see, again, I see how he might have gotten confused. But listen. God warns him multiple times. In 8.2, God, sometimes God acts with no warning and sometimes he warns. Look at 8.2. If you refuse, I wrote outside of there, warning, 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 Will Robinson. If you do this, then I'm gonna do that. And he does, just as simple. Drop down to 21 in 8. He does the same thing. If you refuse, I will send swarms of flies through the land. Another, warning, warning, very shortly after. And then go to 9-2. If you continue to oppress them and refuse to listen, the Lord will. Warning, warning. He's telling him, all right. But like a little old sassy teenager, Pharaoh goes right on and does what he wants to do. Mm -mm -mm. I have seen that in my own house and it is not good. Yep, it is a dead set in my ways form of resistance that will lead to pain, not just for Pharaoh, but for the whole country of Egypt. Everyone will suffer because this leader refuses to obey, refuses, uh, resisting, refusing to listen to what God over and over is shouting for him to do. wow. Even his own magicians in 819 make a huge recognition. In 819, what do they say? They can't do it. So they had done the snakes, they do the next thing and net, which again is crazy when you think about it. I mean, if you turned things to blood, why would you keep doing more? If you had frogs crawl out of the Nile and be in your in your kneading bowl and in your oven and under your feet and you worshiped them, yikes. Why would you want your guys to just create more of them? That that seems Crazy, doesn't it? I mean, I was like, wait a minute. Why would you want to do more and more of the bad thing, of the very bad thing? Crazy. That's how crazy despots operate. They don't, there's no sense of reality. And yet that is what he does. And they, in 819, say, ah, they can't do it. Suddenly it's different. We can't make that happen. And they say, this is the finger of God. Oh, you bet it is. God's finger continues to show up in Scripture. It's gonna be later in Exodus when he's gonna write on some stone tablets. We know that as the, yeah. And when he gave the Ten Commandments, it shows up later in in a prophetic book called Daniel when a hand appears for everyone in the room to see a big dunk, drunken orgy. They're drinking out of vessels they've taken from the temple when they conquered it. And this hand starts writing on the wall, the finger of God. Why? Well, I'll tell you, he was yanking King Darius up and he said, ah, you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. And tonight, this very night, your your country will be divided, your kingdom. And it did, the me, the, uh, that was Belshazzar. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. King Belshazzar was throwing the feast and Darius the Mede comes in and conquers conquers them. And so that very night, yes, his life was taken. And th- there you go. Resistance and refusal has a high, high cost. Because my husband's in leadership here, we um, often get involved in people who've gotten some, into some big messes in their life. Some listen and respond when... Others come around them, and some thumb their nose, stiffen their neck, and walk away. And it is so hard. There were a couple singles at Watermark. They'd been here since the beginning. We were close to both. They dated. They got engaged. Bachelorette party was even at my lake house, and we were celebrating all along the way, but not very long after saying, I do, he didn't. Some old sin patterns reared their head. Some things that weren't dealt with well before. Marriage only magnified the pain of them. Yep, literally all hell broke loose in this family. They had a baby. That intensifies the pain and the divide. Repeated meetings occur along with some love that grew tougher each step of the way. But here's what I can tell you, ladies. This man's heart grew hard. With every meeting we had, you could visually see it. And I occasionally run into him today and he's no longer worshiping here. And the impact of the hard heart is shocking. His countenance does not look the same. His face is set. His language is crude. I've heard it multiple times. His temper flares. His business has stumbled. He sees his son only on appointed days. It is a high price to pay for a hard heart. And so how's your heart today? Is there any area of your life where you've stiffened your neck, where you're holding out your hand, you're resisting and refusing to listen to God, whether it's his still small voice or a loud and booming repeated request to you? It is never too late. That's what you need to know. To turn back and run to God Almighty, who is powerful enough to deliver you no matter what. I love Proverbs 29, 1. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Don't let yourself be broken Don't be fractured, be fixed today. And that takes us to the third point, to recognize that a relationship with God sets you apart because that's what happened for the Israelites. I believe it began to occur to some Egyptians, this God is different the plagues ramp up and an interesting phenomenon begins in, in the fourth plague and it will continue all the way through the final pr- plague. Israel is disting, is distinguished. Whatever is going on throughout the land of Egypt, the land of Goshen, this tiny little area where the first Pharaoh, when Joseph came in, planted them, right there, nothing it is as if the thing, the, the big bad thing that is happening all around doesn't happen there. It is as if for you um, Star Wars fans that God put a force field literally around the land of Goshen. I can hear that lightsaber. I can just hear the sound of and, and that's God just setting this force field. All havoc is breaking out. What if you were doubting Thomas and Thomas hadn't even occurred yet? That didn't happen until the New Testament. But let's just say you're in the land of the Israelites. You've been there 400 years. You forgot who God is. And you're like, God, yeah, who's God? Well, I'm telling you, if you're sitting in your house and you're watching all the things that we have yet to study occur, you're gonna be saying, wow, oh, wow, something up. We better listen. Oh, so this is who God is, wow, I'm certain seeing at that moment was believing and, and that my takeaway is unconditional love protects and provides. That's who God is and it's what he did. And if I'm sitting in this room, I'm wondering, well, what about me? I mean, he did this for the Jews, but I'm not a Jew. And most of us, there may be some Jews in this room and we're glad you're here, but I would say most of us in this room are not. And so can I have this same type of relationship with God too? And the answer is yes. We've said it from this stage and I'll say it again. It's a very simple thing. God made a way for us, those outside of the nation of Israel. And he made that in a very simple way. He tells us in his word that all of us in this room have sinned. I'm so glad. I am so glad because you and I are not so different after all, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And the, he's told us as well that the wages, the payment for sin is death. And it was a blood sacrifice. True in the Old Testament, we'll see that in the chapters yet to come. True in the New Testament. And that sacrifice was paid through the blood of Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for you and for me. And all you have to do is confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus did this for you and you too will be saved. And don't leave here today. If you've never made that decision, then I will be here. Your leaders, your going to group will be there and go talk to them. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, would die for me? It's a song and I can't help it. And it just reminds me, I'm going to close with a story. I sat, I was working on this teaching, and I was with a group of Plano leaders yesterday that are going to Africa. One of the gals is a gal named Lainey Tate. She's led in our Shelter from the Storm ministry, and we were sharing our own personal stories. She sat in this room last year, and she's now part of the Plano campus. Listen to some details, highlights of her story. Lainey was abused by a high school track coach. He told her he loved her, and when she went to college, he was going to marry her. He stole her virginity. She realized after college when he never called and never came that this wasn't love. And then she began to realize this wasn't even right. Something really wrong happened there. She didn't know to call it abuse. That came later, but it did come. Several years later, she went to college, graduated, gets out into the world. She hears this man has been charged with sexual abuse of a teen she becomes one of the people who takes the witness stands and testifies against him. He spends time in prison. She then later comes to Watermark, goes goes through shelter from the storm, and deals with the hurts that were in her life. And through that process, she's convicted that she needs to extend forgiveness to this man, something she'd never done, even though he hadn't asked for it. So she finds him. She takes a CD from Watermark and a track and she says, meets him face to face and looks him in the eye and says, I forgive you for what you did to me. The only way I can do that is because Christ forgave me. And I encourage you to listen to this and you're welcome at Watermark anytime. shouldn't have said those words. Because God is an amazing God. So that's not the end of the story. If that isn't amazing enough, this is where it gets really good. So buckle your seatbelt. Fast forward. We start Plano Watermark Campus in January of this year. In March, Lainey's strolling through the halls to take her one and two-year-old to their classes. And who does she run into? But that man and his twin sons. They exchange a small conversation. He tells her he's been redeemed and he's come to worship. Wow. She ran straight to the leadership so they could together work through how do you worship? Um, I did. I said I did. I did. I did forgive him and and I want to keep forgiving him. Can you help me now? Um, That's crazy. Do you know how crazy that is? That is super natural what happened It's what an almighty God can do. I love that song, Back to Kids. Let's just end there. We teach little bitty kids, those kids downstairs, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. you." And then they have other verses. But isn't that it? Again, a huge truth made so simple. Wow, that's crazy. There's nothing God can't do for you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you that this is true. You who created the earth, you called Israel out, you who formed us, we have nothing to fear. You've redeemed us. You've called us by name. We are yours. And belonging to you makes all the difference. Help us live like women who've been redeemed today. In your name, amen.